Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. It's the fourth and final installment of The Boys of Summer, our little June series that we're doing, highlighting dudes who did cool stuff for ladies. And today we're talking about William Moulton Marston, who invented Wonder Woman. Yeah, this guy is fascinating. He is a regular old Renaissance man. In no traditional sense of the word. (laughs) Not at all. And he was quite a smarty pants. So who was William Moulton Marston before he invented Wonder Woman? Because it was one of the last big things he did before he died. Um, But he was a Harvard-trained lawyer and psychologist who invented not only Wonder Woman, but also the first functional lie detector polygraph. Yeah, he created the DISC model for emotions if you've ever had to go on a terrible, terrible work staff development outing to a DISC class. Which is kind of like a Briggs-Myers test. Yeah, it's like a personality test where you determine if you're like, uh, what do they stand for? Dominant, you know, if you're introverted, submissive or whatever. Basically, like, if you think you're introverted, good job, you probably are. Um, so anyway, he also authored self-help books and then, in the 40s, created... Wonder Woman. Yeah, which is such a strange grab bag of things to have right. done. But he, he based her somewhat on his lovely wife, Elizabeth Holloway. So uh, he married her in 1915 after graduating from Harvard. She had attended Mount Holyoke where she got a master's in psychology and she blew off going to any more women's colleges because when her husband went to Harvard, she ended up uh, going to Boston University to get her law degree. And that was because she would not have been allowed to go study law at Harvard because it was boys only. And so Harvard was like, hey, well, you can go to our sister school, Radcliffe. And Holloway was like, no, no, I'm not going to go to a to to some. What did she say? A place. Oh, she dismissed it as, quote, lovely law for ladies, which Holloway, come on. Radcliffe yeah. is a very good school. <laughs> but nevertheless, she still went to Boston University, paid her own way through law school and became one of only three women to graduate from BU Law in 1918. So Holloway was a groundbreaking lady for her time. Yeah, and just as just as she dismissed uh, lovely law for ladies, she also dismissed the entire women's lib movement when it was in full swing in the 70s. She said, "What's all the fuss about?" So she she was a tough cookie. She was a tough cookie, which I'm I'm kind of raising my eyebrow to her saying, "What's all the fuss about?" But maybe it's just because she was doing all this stuff in 1918. On her own, outside yeah, of kind of like a, a kind of like a throwback to Margaret Thatcher, who had the same attitude. Exactly. What's all the fuss? Well, what I made a little bit of a fuss about, Caroline. How about this for a transition? Uh, was finding out that William Moulton Marston in the early 20th century. Yes, he was married to Elizabeth Holloway, but they also were in a live-in polyamorous relationship with partner Olive Byrne, who was later Olive Richard. And he, he was married to Elizabeth and he had kids, two kids with Elizabeth and two with Olive. And even after William Moulton Marston died, They continued to live together and raise their kids together. Yeah, Marston met Olive in the 20s when she was a student while he was teaching at Tufts University. And she, as well as Elizabeth, later helped him with some of his psychology and uh, polygraph 
research. And just like Elizabeth and her tough cookie attitude probably served as inspiration for Wonder Woman's like rar, you know, go get him attitude. Uh, Olive served as the inspiration for her look with her black hair, blue eyes and the heavy bracelets she wore on each wrist. Now, leading up to the creation of Wonder Woman, it was really William's interest in psychology that set the stage for it, because that was what got him um, thinking about how to determine whether a person is lying or not. And he connected that to blood pressure rising. And that's how he developed his crude lie detector while he was at Harvard. And then from there, he studied the concepts of will and a person's sense of power and the effects of those things on personality and human behavior which led to him developing that DIC, the DISC program. Um, And all of this sort of snowballs into his concept for Wonder Woman and the need for a strong female character. Because obviously he's a guy who's very interested in human nature, but one of the facets of that was his belief that women were essentially morally superior to men. He truly believed that at some point our society would become a matriarchy because in a similar way that the temperance movement was led by women because there was this notion that women were by nature better able to abstain from alcohol. He thought that by women's nature, we would be better able to, I guess, um, make up for men's ruthlessness and their violent nature and all of that. Right. Yeah. His beliefs about women as leaders were that eventually we would take over the whole rule of the country politically and economically. And in 1937, he told the New York Times that we would within the next 100 years. So by... 2037, so get ready, we would have a nation of Amazons in the psychological rather than the physical sense. He said that women are less susceptible to the negative traits of aggression and acquisitiveness, and we could use our allure to control men. So we would literally take control in every possible way. He had an interesting take on feminism. And women and power roles. Yes. And he clearly thought that there was a connection between not just what what we could do with our brains, but also with our bodies, too, which is probably, you know, why Wonder Woman is quite an attractive lady. But he saw a lot of power in the medium of comic books, which were really popular at the time. In 1943, he wrote in The American Scholar that the picture story fantasy cuts loose the hampering debris of art and artifice and touches the tender spots of universal human desires and aspirations. And in that way, comics speak without qualm or sophistication to the innermost ears of the wishful self. So he thought that by developing this strong female comic book hero, that it could be a powerful tool for, I guess, delivering his message that women would, that girls would, in the words of Beyonce, run the world at one point. Right. I mean, he he said, look, all of you academics out there, I'm one of you, but we've got to put our big boy panties on and accept the fact that pictures tell stories, especially to children, much more effectively than words do. And so, hey, if you're going to deliver a message to these kids through these comic books, it might as well be a good one, right? That women should rule the world. And he, he kept... 
you know, writing his opinions and he voiced opinions in Family Circle magazine about comics and was subsequently offered a position on the editorial advisory board of the DC and All American lines. And he got encouragement from Max Gaines, the head of DC, to create a female comic hero. And so in 1941, Wonder Woman was introduced in an all-star comics and he wrote her under his not-so-clever pseudonym of Charles Moulton. So he just <laughs> switched out his first name. Um, and for comic buffs out there, Wonder Woman, a.k.a. Diana Prince, came out in the number eight issue of All-Star Comics. And she came with a lasso of truth, bulletproof bracelets, and an invisible plane. And she also had a really lame boyfriend, Steve Trevor. But the background of Wonder Woman was that she was actually this Amazonian princess, Mm -hmm. and there were no men on the island at all, and World War II was going on, and somehow Steve Trevor's plane crashed on the Amazonian island, and so Diana Prince took it upon herself to save Steve Trevor, and then also I guess go in because a lot of comics at the time were also uh, very pro America and Mm -hmm. pro allies and all of that with the war. And so there were lots of wartime story arcs where she would go and fight against the Axis powers as well. Right. Yeah. She was sent by Aphrodite. Ah. Of course. Why not? To help the American war effort and to spread the Amazon's message of love, peace and sexual equality. She was a hippie. A really powerful, hot pants wearing hippie. That's right. But in 1947, just six years after Wonder Woman debuted, Marston dies. And after that, Wonder Woman really suffered. And uh, in 1954, there was this guy named Dr. Frederick Wortham who published a book called The Seduction of the Innocent. And essentially, it set off this massive fear about how comics were just destroying children's brains, that it was too violent, they were too sexual. It reminds me a lot of debates that have come up around the impact of video games on kids' developments. But Wortham got people so worked up over it that a comics code was developed to crack down on the content. And in Seduction of the Innocent, he called Wonder Woman a cruel, phallic woman. And he said that she is the lesbian counterpart of Batman and the homosexual connotation of Wonder Woman is psychologically unmistakable. The Psychiatric Quarterly deplored in an editorial the appearance of an eminent child therapist as the implied endorser of a series which portrays extremely sadistic hatred of all males in a framework which is plainly lesbian. Yeah. Plainly. Plainly lesbian. <laughs> yeah, because speaking of Batman, he was worried that, you know, Batman and Robin had a homoerotic relationship that all these comics were trying to turn kids into just a legion of violent homosexuals, I guess. Yeah, and it's around this time that, you know, after Marston dies after the war, she really becomes, Wonder Woman really becomes this more docile figure. You know, she loses a lot of her powers and is instead focused on, you know, her boyfriends and and clothes, and she's in all these smart suits and whatnot. And I'm, I'm jumping forward a little bit, but... After, you know, she goes through all of this stuff and she's worried about clothes and she gets makeovers and all that stuff. She had a very powerful ally in the women's movement who said Wonder Woman needs her powers back. 
Yeah, Gloria Steinem and her cohorts put Wonder Woman intentionally, very intentionally, on the first cover of Ms. Magazine that came out in 1972. And it's an image of Wonder Woman and it says Wonder Woman for president. And they actually lobbied the comic book to bring Wonder Woman's powers back because she had been there. There was a story arc where she is stripped of her powers. And like you said, she really just cares about trying to get Steve Trevor, her lame boyfriend, to. And I say lame just because he's kind of like, hey, I'm Steve, I'm Steve Trevor. <laughs> Very vanilla. Yeah. And uh, so in 1973, the comic book finally capitulated, and they were like, Gloria Steinem, just leave my office, please. <laughs> and they restored her power. And But still, ever since then, she's kind of been on rocky ground. I mean, there was the amazing 1970s Wonder Woman live-action series on television starring Linda Carter, who I remember watching that on TV Land mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And I was I was a big fan. And I really, I really wanted that outfit of hers, that yeah. tiny outfit that she would run around in. I was not, I was not a Wonder Woman watcher. I don't even remember being that aware of Wonder Woman. I was, I was obsessed with Superman though. I had a cape Ooh, and some jammies. Neat. Yeah, there was a uh, PBS recently came out with a documentary on Wonder Woman and also female superheroes or the lack thereof. And they interviewed Linda Carter at one point and she talked about how even though the show was pretty hokey, it was significant at the time for portraying on TV a female superhero. And that was also around the time that you have the Bionic Woman coming out and Charlie's Angels. And there was all of this movement in the 70s that was kind of a flash in the pan. Because even today, with all of the comic movie adaptations that we've had, Wonder Woman cannot seem to get on the big screen, which I think is unfortunate. At first, Joss Whedon was supposed to do a Wonder Woman movie, and I don't know what happened, but it seems like production has been shuttered. And during a Reddit Ask Me Anything session with the go-to DC Comics adaptation guy, the, the screenwriter, David S. Goyer, he said in response to someone asking him why Wonder Woman had not made that leap to a movie, he said, quote, I think Wonder Woman is a very difficult character to crack. More difficult than Superman, who is also more difficult than Batman. And a lot of people in Hollywood believe that it's hard to do a big action movie with a female lead. Now, he disagreed with that, but that is still the state of affairs. So the fact that Wonder Woman debuted in 1941, there had been some other female heroes in comics, but none like Wonder Woman, none who had the biggest impact of Amazonian princess Diana mm-hmm. Prince. Yeah, and and Marston really wanted her to have an effect. I mean, like we mentioned, you know, he said, let's give this good message to kids that girls can be powerful. And he really saw a vacuum. He saw a really a hole that needed to be filled as far as getting a female role model out there. And he said, listen, not even girls want to be girls so long as our feminine archetype lacks force strength and power. So let's make girls be proud to be girls. Now, what I would propose for a movie, what I I would like to see, yes, I would love to see a Wonder Woman movie, but I say take it bigger, Hollywood, and you do an Avengers-like ensemble with not only Wonder Woman, but also old-school female crime fighters, Phantom Lady, Miss Mask, Red Tornado, who apparently, at one point in one comic book, whipped herself into her tornado to clean the house. 
Okay. Hey, some people take Adderall, some people turn into tornadoes. Some people have Roombas. And also, Lady Luck and Spider Widow. I would go see that in a heartbreak. Let's have a, a Women's Avengers. And can it not be a Michael Bay movie, please? Well, Josh, Josh Whedon was the one who was supposed to do Wonder Woman. So yeah. come on back, Josh. I got an idea for you. I will sell it to you for lots of millions. Well, he's kind of, yeah, he is busy making the Avengers too. He just got done making Much Ado About Nothing over the course of two weeks in his house. Wow. Yeah. It was his version of a vacation between Avengers 1 and Avengers 2. So maybe he wants, and in the next like 10 years when he's done making Avengers movies, maybe he can turn his attention to Wonder Woman again. And if that ever happens though, if we ever can see hopefully Wonder Woman in theaters, we have William Moulton Marston to thank for it. Yeah. Who had some kind of kooky ideas about feminism. It was a bit extreme. Um, and there were some ideas about bondage. A lot of people like that, uh, that one author, Wortham, were very concerned about the lasso and the bondage. Although, you know, it was Marston's point, like, he's not going to use violence. You know, she's not going to be shooting people in the face, none, none, not setting any bombs off. She's going to lasso them and be chained up. Yeah, and and part of the reason why Wonder Woman was often tied up was not to just bind her down so that she was a submissive, but also to show her breaking the chains, breaking the ropes, demonstrating her feminine muscular strength. Right. Yeah. All and all inspired by Elizabeth and Olive, his partners. Yeah. And I just want to know more about their polyamorous relationship in like nineteen. 19- 30. Yeah, and it's funny to kind of think, because Elizabeth was so like, whatever. It's kind of funny to think, like, how William broached the subject. Like, I have this student here. She's like, whatever, just bring her home. What's her name? <laughs> What's her name? Well, Pimento, <laughs> Olive, I don't know. Bring her, Martini, bring her over. <laughs> but no, but still, they. I think they pretty much live the rest of their lives together. And yeah, raise, the raise kids. their kids. So an unlikely friendship. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should do a YouTube video on Elizabeth and Olive. Uh, Olive is also the name of a cat I had, so now I'm thinking of cats. And with that, <laughs> write to us about Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman fans out there, let us know all of your thoughts. Did you watch Wonder Woman when you were a kid? Is Wonder Woman an inspiration to you? If there is a Wonder Woman movie, who should play her? Hmm. I am a brunette. Yeah. I'm just saying. Can I be a sidekick? Yeah. Do you want, you could be Red Tornado. Okay. <laughs> Whipping around. I would have an excuse to dye my hair red again. <laughs> there we go. Well, our email address is momstuffatdiscovery.com. You can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast and hit us up on Facebook. Now back to our letters. Okay, I have a letter here from Bernadette about our Fitzbo episode. Uh, she said, I myself am a fit blogger, and I personally find it can be both motivating and damaging. But the hardcore motivation examples you cited on the podcast, pain is reward or something to that effect, are slogans that have been part of the gym culture for a very long time. Fitspo, to me, seems like a feminization of gym culture. It is a way to encourage women to lift heavy and see the benefits of it, whereas for years, most women have been, and most unfortunately still are, afraid of bulking up from lifting. I agree it can have an unhealthy side to it, but it can be extremely empowering from a feminist perspective if you have media-savvy goggles on. I agree, Bernadette. Fitzbo personally helped me by realizing there is a community of lady lifters out there and that trying something that is traditionally male-dominated, 
wasn't as scary as I thought. Anywho, that's just my two cents. Keep up the good work, ladies. Bernadette, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, getting women to break out of their comfort zone and get fit and get healthy is great. I do worry about those people who don't, however, have their media savvy goggles on like you do. So thank you for writing. Well, I've got one here from Ryan. And Ryan, I think we've read one of your emails before. So gold star for you. Um, but he, he took a little more critical ac- approach with the Fitzbo episode. And we have gotten a, a little bit of criticism of being so negative towards Fitzbo and those extreme messages in particular that we saw in the disembodied uh abs that you see over and over and over again. But Ryan writes, here we go. He says, I support a grassroots effort to fight eating disorders and find thinspo harmful. And if these social sites willingly censor on their own accord, I applaud them. But the comment you made about Twitter not censoring seems ridiculous to me. How many billion tweets are there a day? Blame culture, not the free media it uses to express itself. And as to Fitzbo, it is admittedly messy. But you can't get to a new place in any area of your life, physical, educational, occupational, etc., without first being dissatisfied with where you are. Some people need affirmation, motivation, and others need a drill instructor. I work out or run four to six times per week and need both kinds of inspiration from time to time to keep on track with my goals. And the same goes for me at work. And so he asked, where are, for example, the cultural elites fighting the porn industry? Or who's fighting all the social sites for posts about being drunk or drinking heavily when alcohol causes thousands of deaths every year? To which I say there are lots of people fighting the porn industry. For the overwhelming quantity of glossy, glamorous shots of nasty food we have in this in arguably obese culture, a few pictures of people with self-control and determination shouldn't make us think that the sky is falling. At some point, we need to realize that some people are examples for the rest of us, physically, emotionally, athletically, mentally, professional, relationally, and that's okay. And he says, P.S., I dare a media person to walk up to one of the many CrossFit female athletes whose images are online or in other advertising and tell them that they're surgically enhanced or airbrushed. My former personal trainer wasn't, and I'd be fearful to accuse her of that. And to that last point, though, with the airbrushing, it's not accusing the person, the athlete, the woman of airbrushing herself. It's more of if a a picture is taken of her and put in an advertisement, there is a very good chance and that she will be photoshopped. Correct. And that's just, I mean, that's for anything. Yeah, I mean, my my good friend Emily is big into CrossFit, and that girl is ripped, and I'm glad I'm on her side, and she's on my side, because I don't want her to beat me up. Um, but yeah, I mean, as yeah, I mean, we're not accusing the people themselves. Right, and I completely understand, and I think that we made that clear in that podcast, that there is good fitness inspiration out there. There is absolutely nothing wrong with taking encouragement from motivational slogans and images and all of that. It's more when you just, I'm serious people, just put Fitzbo or Fitzpiration into Pinterest and scroll for a while and see what you come up with because it is for as much healthy stuff as out there, there's a lot of unhealthy stuff out there and all we are advocating for is, what did, the, what did Bernadette call it? Putting on media savvy goggles. Correct. So, we appreciate all of your comments so positive, negative, otherwise because we wanted to start a discussion 
And I think we did. So keep it coming. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also comment on Facebook or message us there or tweet us at MomStuffPodcast. And you can also follow us on Tumblr at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And watch us as well. We come out with a new video every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday over on YouTube. It's YouTube.com slash StuffMomNeverToldYou. Go on over now and subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.